0: What a great uh, response to the parable that we just read that that we just offer ourselves to God and say, yeah, I I wanna use what God's given me for his kingdom. What a great response. Let's bow in prayer and ask God to bless his word this morning. Father, as we open up your word, we pray that you would bless it. Pray that you would anoint me that I might speak your word in power and in truth. Pray, Lord, that you would allow our ears to focus on what you're saying today. And uh, Lord, I pray that our minds would be productive in connecting the dots, as it were, to from your word to our lives and from the stories that I tell to our lives. So, Father, we pray that you would quicken us for this task. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before going to Europe, a wealthy businessman uh, went, took his drove his Rolls-Royce to a bank in downtown. Uh, New York. And he pulled up, parked his car in front of the bank, and he went in and he asked if he could borrow $5,000. And uh, the clerk was like, uh, well, I mean, what? you need some collateral or you need to show me your occupation. You, you know, you need to pay it back. So, so the guy said, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, how about my Rolls Royce out there? Could you use that as collateral? And the guy's like, for $5,000? Yeah. Yeah, so check the ownership registration, everything, okay? You pass the keys over. And, and then he, he told a, another clerk, can you go park this guy's Rolls Royce in the bank's basement in the underground parking? So they drove the Rolls Royce down there and off this guy went to Europe. Uh, and after two weeks, he came back and he went to the bank and he says, okay, okay I want to settle up my account. Uh, how much do I owe you? Well, they said, well, 5000 principal and 1540 interest. And the guy wrote out a check, handed it to the banker, and then turned around and walked off. Uh, and the banker gave him his keys, and he turned around and walked off. And, and then the banker said, oh, well, hold on a second. Uh, I, I find out, found out while you were gone that, that you're actually a millionaire. Like, why do you need to borrow $5,000? And the businessman smiled. He goes, well, you know... Where else am I gonna park my Rolls-Royce in a safe garage for two weeks for $15? (laughs) Don't you love a good story? I mean, I could go on about, you know, all the principles of good stewardship and, and uh, you know, using one's resources correctly, but a good story just kind of goes, whoop, it's right there, you know, it's all, all and, and you, can, you can process it. So we have started this series uh, of messages on uh, stories that changed the world, and it's really about the parables that Jesus told, the stories that he told that impact us, they, they have an impact uh, on our life, stories have the power to change us. Much more than mere lectures or, or uh, you know, uh, I don't know, PowerPoint slides or whatever. But the stories, they capture our imaginations and our hearts. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's more than just entertainment for a bit of time. A story uh, changes the way we think and the way we feel. These days, you know who the primary storyteller is in our lives? The TV screen, or the computer screen, or the movie theater screen—these are the primary storytellers in our life. And when you think about it, it actually affects most people's worldview powerfully. All this information that we gather from the screens that we watch, from the stories we watched—I'm quite convinced that all the cop shows on TV. How many of you have watched cop shows on TV? Oh, come on, be honest. You know, like. I, Probably all of you. Come on. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe some of you are just like, no, this is stupid. But, anyways, I think that all these cop shows that where the the good guys they catch the bad guys and they incarcerate them and and, you know they they save the day all the time. They're very wise and they calculate. This actually makes us believe in our system of our penal system and our cops and everything. It actually shapes us into not wanting to be criminals, because I think that it actually affects us, uh, our our culture, in causing people to think that if they do crime, they will be caught. And it's a really good thing. Um, And so, for a long time, Hollywood and all of these outlets that were influencing our thinking really had one story to tell. It was the hero story. uh, where, where the hero is wronged, or there's evil that's happening, and the hero goes out, and he writes the wrongs, and he, he creates goodness, and we all go, yay, you know, awesome story, and that's what most stories consist of. There's wrongs, there's evils, there's bad, and then someone comes along and makes it all right and good, and we love those stories, but have you noticed in the last few decades that Hollywood and the makers of these films, Netflix, etc., they're, they're obscuring that pure right and wrong, the pure hero and the villain. And they're they're, they're kind of mixing those things up. And we end up watching a movie like Ocean's Eleven and, and we're like, rooting for who? The criminals. Yeah. And you're like, how did this happen? How can I be rooting for people who are stealing millions of dollars? Like, how can this be? And and then, you know, in, in a... Have you ever asked someone, hey, have you watched the Titanic? What did you think of the Titanic? Do you know most Christians that I ask what they think of the Titanic? They tell me, oh, yeah, it was a great movie. You know, it's wonderful. I loved it. And I'm like, I'm shocked, honestly. I'm like, what is the Titanic about? The Not just the affair. It's about adultery. Let's, let's call it what it is. It's about adultery, the whole movie. Is it about an adulterous relationship? And somehow we get sucked into thinking, oh, this is a beautiful love love story. It's not. It's about adultery, straight and simple. And this is what movies have done to us. They start to shape who we are. And the sitcoms and all the, the things we watch on TV, with all of the immorality happening, all the premarital sex, it starts to influence the next generation thinking that, well, when you go on dates, that's what you do. Or all of the, you know, the the, the number of homosexual relationships in sitcoms is like way higher than in normal life. Why? It's shaping our thinking. It's shaping a uh, culture. Um, you know, vigilante revenge. How many movies are about vigilante revenge? And the hero is really a vigilante. He's really out there causing a whole bunch of mayhem with his own you know, criteria of good and right and wrong being the highest. Anyways, you get my point? We are shaped by the stories we hear. And so whether you're a movie watcher, a book reader, or a YouTube junkie, you're being shaped by the stories you ingest. And a lot of stories are, you know, stories are designed to be bigger than life. You know, you, you, we often feel like, oh, my life is kind of boring. You know, it's the same old, same old all the time. Go to work, you know, look forward to the weekend. Then the weekend's over, go back to work. And, I don't know. and stories that can kind of capture our imagination and bring us to a distant place. Um, and a lot of stories kind of tell a story behind the stories. You know, like, like all these um, controversies that are swirling around the world today, they're all trying to get at some story behind the reality, you know? And I often think people love The Matrix, right? Because what's the Matrix about? It's about like this backstory that's behind that maybe behind our story, and we start thinking, what if that's really true? You know, what if I'm just a figment of my own imagination? And I'm actually stuck in a box somewhere. You know, and it it, it kind of gets us asking the weird questions about life, and we like that because there's this interest in the story behind the story, or Fahrenheit 9 or all these wild uh, stories that are going around. They kind of intrigue us. Well, guess what? Jesus knows that we're interested in the story behind the story. And so almost all of his stories start the same way. They challenge our thinking about the reality of what we see and know. And almost all of his stories start with what line? Anybody know? Exactly. The kingdom of God is like... So what he's saying is, you know, you're used to seeing this kingdom here, you know, like the Romans being in charge of the Israelites and trying to build their own kingdom. But actually, there's a different kingdom that you can't see. It's the reality behind the reality. And I am am ushering in this new kingdom. And so almost all of his stories start with those words. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. Um, and so, this kingdom, the, the parable of the talents that I just read a few minutes ago, it doesn't actually start with that line, but it starts pretty similarly. It says, again, it will be like. Well, what, what does that mean? Again? Why is he saying again? Well, because he just told a kingdom story, and it is referring to the kingdom. Because in verse one, if you look at verse one, it says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. And Jesus tells the story of the the 10 maidens waiting for the wedding party to come. And so this one follows right after that. The kingdom of heaven will be like. And there's an implication that Jesus is writing blogs, right, he's just blogging about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And if you read through all his blogs, you get this idea in your head. Now, Jesus doesn't go around saying, well, you know, the kingdom of heaven is actually about me, the Son of God, coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying for everybody's sins, and then if you put your faith in me, you will be saved, and then you will go to heaven, and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and that will change you and make you into a new person. Does Jesus ever say that? isn't that the gospel? Why doesn't Jesus say that? Why doesn't he didactically go through what the kingdom of heaven is like? Isn't what I just described the kingdom of heaven? That's how we know it. And yet Jesus never does that. What does he do instead? He tells stories and leaves it all up to our imagination. He leaves it all up to us, really, to... to, tie, you know, put the points together and put it all together and so that we understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. I love that. (laughs) So actually a big chunk of the sermon, I'm just going to tell stories. This morning I did it more didactically or at the earlier service, but I didn't like it at all. And so like, I'm like, maybe I should listen to my own sermon and actually you know, just do the sermon with more stories. So that's what I'm going to do this after, or this on the second service. But first, I want to just point out one thing about the the uh, the parable of the, the talents. Now, uh, I read from an older NIV version, right, and it was the story of the, the, the talents. But how many of you have a new NIV version since 2011? Okay, what does it say? Mark, you're answering all the questions today. What, 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 is this, what is the parable called in the new NIV? Somebody. Don't you bring Bibles to this church anymore? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. The NIV, yeah. Yeah, and what, what is it called, the, the title of this parable in Matthew? The bags of gold. Yeah. So is it bags of gold or is it, you know, the talents? What is it? Well, you see, talents that we, what we know about talents and, and really this parable is, you know, like the abilities that God has given us, right, that's what we understand of talents. We have, you know, America's got talent now. And, uh, you know, and, and this is all about people's abilities to do things, right? So a lot of times this, this uh, message that Jesus is sharing gets confused in English. It gets, and actually, you know, you, know, you might not know this, But the word talent in English, you know where it comes from? It comes from this parable. There's so many pastors and preachers and teachers that have taught this parable that this is the talents or the good things that God, the abilities God has given you that you need to use for the kingdom of God. So many times it was preached that way that the meaning of the word talent got changed from the original meaning to this new meaning of abilities but that's not actually what it means. It doesn't have anything to do with our abilities. In the original, this just uh, is, is uh, the word, it's a transliteration actually of the Greek word. The Greek word is talenton, uh, and, and it's translate, transliterated at the bottom there, and you can see where that would actually translate into talent in the English, but it has nothing to do with ability, okay? That's something that came later. Um, actually, the, this word, the Greek word, talent, is actually a measurement of finances, okay? It's a financial measurement. It's actually a weight of, of, of money, actually. And so it doesn't take, if you do a little bit of research, you'll figure out exactly how much it is. It's thousand 6, denarii. So that's perfect. Now, it clears everything up. We know exactly how much it is, Right? Right? Oh, no, you don't know how much a denarius? is? <laughs> oh, okay, well, let me explain what a denarius is. If, if you go back a few chapters, you find Jesus in another story about the kingdom. He says, he, he describes it as, a, as a, a wealthy man going out and hiring people. And, he, and they, they come upon a wage that he's gonna pay the, the people that are coming to work for him. Do you remember the story? And one comes early in the morning, one at noon, and one later on in the afternoon. And what are they all given? A denarii, right? One denarii for a day's work. So this is an indication of how much a denarii is worth. A day's work, a wage seems to be fine for a denarii. Uh, So maybe for today, it'll be 100 bucks or something like that, I don't know. Um, And then in in John chapter 12, um, there's this woman, Mary, she pours out an alabaster jar of oil on Jesus' feet, beautiful perfume. And Judas pipes up, what does he say? Hey, couldn't we have sold this, this bottle of perfume for 300 denarii and given it to the poor? Of course, what does the new NIV version say? Anybody have the new NIV? The old one says 300 denarii. The new one says, oh yeah, it's at the bottom. Oh, there it is, right up there. It says a year's wages. Okay, so it's equating, equating 300 denarii with a year's work. How many days of work is there in a year? Well, maybe not 300, but somewhere around there. Uh, I'm not ju- I didn't do the math, actually. But actually, I did do some math to figure out what, what in today's market would, be, would a talent be, this measurement of money. So we figure out one talent is 6,000 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. Uh, therefore, one talent is 16 and two-thirds years of salary. Uh, I did the math. Uh, Ottawa, median annual salary is $60,000. Therefore, today, 16 and two-thirds times 60000 is a million dollars. Nice, cool, even number. I don't know how it worked out to be that way, but it's exactly worked out. Uh, so America's Got Talent just gave away a million dollars. Apparently, their understanding of talent seems to fit in with the Bible. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how that happens, strangely enough, right? Um, So what this story is about is about this huge amount of money given to servants to do God's will. It's It's an amazing thing. And so what is this talent? What does it represent? Does it represent... Our gifts and abilities and etc. Actually, I think it does represent those things. It does represent our English word talents, what God has given us. But actually, if you go back to the original, it doesn't represent that at all. What does the original represent? Money. Okay. And so, actually, if you become more literal with this parable, it's really talking about God giving His servants. Cash, money. And so we, maybe we, we don't like the, you know, anything that affects the back pocket here, you know, like, hey, preacher, stay away from that. You know, like that's, you know, that's forbidden territory. But actually, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the money that God has given us. He's entrusted it to us. Uh, and, and what are we doing with that? And then there's, there's a third possibility of what this this uh, talent represents in the story. Third possibility is that it's, um, like this story is about the kingdom of God, right? Kingdom of heaven. Uh, Parable before it's about the kingdom of heaven, the parable after it's about the kingdom of heaven. So what has God entrusted to us for the kingdom of heaven? Well, he's entrusted us with the gospel, with the salvation story, right? The good news that Jesus died for our sins. This is what's been entrusted to us So how are we doing with that? You know, are we using it wisely for the kingdom? And so uh, I'd like to point out a a bunch of things that we need to do. And the first one is that we need to receive the funds. These three men were given these funds, right? Five talents, uh, two talents, and one talent. And one of the men kind of didn't receive it, right? He didn't take it and then start using it. He was afraid. And what did he do with it? He just stuck it in the ground. It's like he never received it at all. He didn't want it. And so the master, in giving his stuff, notice that it's, whose money is it that the, the master gives? He entrusts it, his wealth. It's his money. And it never changes all through the story. You get to the last guy and he gives back, here's your money. It's very clear all through the story that these, these Stuarts, they recognize that it's not their money, it's his money. And so it is with us. We've been given money, not ours. Um, so I want to depict this with a story, okay? Way back when I was a kid, teenager, actually, I read this book called The Cross and the Switchblade, really impacted my life. I was just like fascinated with the story of Nicky Cruz, a, 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 man, a young man in, in, uh, in New York, part of the gang life there, passionately involved in, in all kinds of atrocities. He himself says today that he was filled with demonic and that would just drove his life. And, uh, and David Wilkerson, a preacher, came into New York City and was sharing the gospel. With these guys, and the the first time uh, Wilkerson met Nikki Cruz, um, he he was preaching a sermon, and Nicky was in the in the audience, listening, and and, and kind of just like going like, what is this guy all about? Who is this guy in my turf? And what is he talking about? And so uh, Dave Wilkerson went to, up to Nicky and his friend, and shook his friend's hand, and then went to shake Nicky's hand. Nicky spit on him and then slapped him in the face and says, get out of my, 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 uh, my turf. You're bothering us and you shouldn't. You don't belong here. And David Wilkerson said, turned to him and said, look, you can cut me up into a, a thousand little pieces and line me up on the street here and every piece will call out to you, Jesus loves you, Nikki,' and I love you too. And Nicky's like, no idea what to, how to respond to that. And it, and God started working in Nikki's heart. So then a few weeks later, they're having this big rally uh, and, and Dave, Dave Wilkerson is holding a big crusade and there's a couple thousand people in attendance in this building and all of the gangs from New York show up in the building. And they're, they've come there because Wilkerson has invited them. He's become friends with all these leaders of the gangs. And he's invited them all. But their purpose is not is not to listen to him. Their purpose is to disrupt the meeting and then have a rumble at the end of the meeting in the church. They want to beat each other up. This is this is their plan, right? (laughs) And so they're in the in the the uh, church there in the auditorium. I don't know if it's a church, but they're in the auditorium or whatever. And uh, David Wilkerson and and they are just disrupting everything, including the, the main singer, a young lady. She, is, she doesn't even finish her song because there's so much ruckus going on in the crowd. And she leaves the stage crying. And David Wilkerson gets up at that point and says, okay, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to take up an offering. And everybody's like, oh, boo, you know, this is what churches do, ah, go away. You know, and they're all just booing him. And, and, he said, and then he said this, but I'm going to ask the gang leader, the gangs to come and take up the offering. And they're all like, I need four volunteers. And they're all like, what? <laughs> I'll take up the offering. <laughs> right? And so then he says, hey, Nikki," and, uh, and, and his right-hand man, and then he calls uh, another one of the gang leaders from, from the uh, bishops, and, and these four guys come up to the front, and then he gives them each a milk carton, and he says, okay, go and take up the offering. Now, can you imagine? A gang member's coming up to you with the offering. He says, hey, you know, and you puts them in, and he goes, Come on. <laughs> what do you do to the gang member, right? Like, oh, okay, you know, you put a little more in, you know, so this is what was going on. And uh, apparently the offering was quite good that night. <laughs> Maybe we should take this up, eh? Invite some gang members. <laughs> so anyways, at the end, you know, Nikki had instructed them to go outside, not to bring it down the aisles, but to go outside and come through the back to come to, into the, onto the stage. Well, they go out in the back, and they're like loaded with all this cash, right? Gang leaders, murderers, (laughs) violent men. And the other guy, he's like, so what do you want to do? You want to put it in one big pot so after the rumble, whoever wins takes it all? Or should we just divide it up now? And Nikki's like, because God had been convicting him all this time. And Nikki goes, like, ah, oh, stupid preacher. He, probably, he, he knows that we're going to take off with the money. Let, let's do a fast one on him. Let's bring him all the money. And he convinces the other gang member to t- bring in all the money. And his own member is like, are you nuts, man? And they bring all the money in. And Wilkerson says, so, you know, these guys don't live up to your expectations, do, do they? you had an expectation of something different happening here. And then he talks about not judging people, and goes on into his his sermon. But what I want you to notice is that David Wilkerson took a risk, right? It was a big risk. I mean, all of the offering for that night, 2,000 people in attendance, uh, and these gang members running the offering, and... So I wanted to put put this into perspective because in, in God's eyes, you're like a gang member, you and I, we're not very reliable. We're people. We tend to use gifts given to us for ourselves. We tend to be selfish. We tend to be all about our own little kingdom, not about his kingdom at all. We tend to be Just that way. That's who we are. But the Bible says, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he paid the fee for us to be in his kingdom while we were still far from God. While we didn't didn't know God. We, We were sinners. He took a risk. Do you know when God gives us finances? You know, Canadians... Our financial, uh, monetary things that we have far, far outseeds 98% of the world. Like, most of the people in the world operate on on this tiny little income. Uh, It's unbelievable. And we have so much that we've been given So God's invested something in us, Canadians, hasn't he, financially. And when I look around this room, I see people who are talented. I see people who know the Bible. I see people who ha- are effective communicators, effective storytellers, right? When I look around this room, I see people who know the gospel, have been given a Trust. Oh, yeah, I was just going to tell stories. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Cordell Dick, I want to just say one more uh, thing and put this up on the screen. Since we are only stewards of the possessions God has seen fit to give us, every decision we make relating to our possessions has a spiritual implication. I wonder sometimes what difference it would make in our spending if Jesus had to appear in bodily form to co-sign all our checks before they would be negotiable. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You know, I often ask my wife, you think we should spend money here? Shouldn't I be asking the owner of the money? I'm going to tell you another story to illustrate this parable a little bit. Pastor uh, Ken Witcher, Rich Ken Witcher, he... uh, He's a Presbyterian pastor and he was preaching on this passage and he decided to illustrate this passage by saying, hey, I've got a $100 here. Uh, somebody wanna come up and um, and take this $100 to use for kingdom purposes and to, to reuse it for kingdom purposes. Um, now, I'm sure some of you are saying, well, pastor, why aren't you doing this illustration? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm not that wealthy or maybe I don't have that much faith I don't know but that's what he did and one of the J- Jackson Rogers he's like okay dad I- I'm going to go get it and his dad's like no no don't do that because then you're you know, going to figure out how to use this money wisely and you know it's a trap I'm sure you know pastors never give away $100 bills without it being a trap <laughs> so anyways he comes forward and, um, and he gets the money, and then he brings it home, and, and he knows exactly what he wants to do with the money. He knows a homeless family, and he wants to use the money to help the homeless family. But after talking to his dad, he doesn't want to just give the money to the homeless family. He wants to do something more substantial for them. So you know what he does? He starts writing letters, handwritten, by a 10-year-old boy, asking people to donate towards a Habitat for Humanity project where that needs $50,000 to build a house for this homeless family. And people start responding. People start sending money. And he uses the $100 to buy stamps and letterheads you know, or, or, or paper. That's what he uses the money for. And the money starts rolling in, and before long, They've got $43,000 from 170 donors, and uh, and then the church kicks in the rest, and they build a house for this family. In the parable, what were the servants doing? They were multiplying the blessings God had given them. How are you multiplying the things that God has given you? The things that are, remember, it's his money? You might say, well, no, I work for my money. Everything I make, I work hard for. Yeah, why are you able to make money at all? Like, why do you have a job? Well, because I worked hard at getting a job. Okay, and who gave you the ability, uh, the abilities you needed to put on your resume to get that job? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's probably God. And who designed the materials, the raw tools to make your hammer? The iron ore, where does that come from? Okay, yeah, that's God. And the nails you're pounding into the roof. The iron ore for them. Where did that originate? Okay, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. You back up far enough, everything comes from God. The Bible, the Bible says, you know, don't boast as if you didn't receive what you have. Why do why do you boast as if everything's come from God? And so Um, the last thing last story I want to share no there 's a couple more stories. <laughs> Jesus says to the, the servants who did well, Well done, thou good and faithful servants um, you 've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter your father 's rest or joy there 's a reward um, you know there was there was this guy who uh he didn't have children he he had put a lot of work into business and he didn't want the business to just be wasted after he died so he he calls in not his children because he doesn't have any but his nephews and he says to them you know hey i'm going to be passing on someday and i'd like to give this business of mine to one of you but i want you i want to see how you respond to work and effort so i'd like you Come into my office here and just fill it full of stuff. And I'm going to give you 100 bucks, and whatever you can buy to fill my office completely to the brim. That would be good. So the first, first nephew goes off and he buys a whole bunch of bales of hay because they're cheap, right? And as much as $100 dollars will buy. And apparently $100 doesn't go that far in buying hay anymore. Uh, used to, but not anymore. So he comes and he fills up the room about half full with hay. And, he, and the uncle goes, hey, that, that was pretty pretty smart. Uh, and then the next uh, one, he um, buys a whole bunch of thistledown. When you open the bags of thistledown, what happens to it? It expands. <laughs> fills up the room. Uh, well, we got it got about three-quarter full. And finally, the last son, or the last uh, nephew, he says, uh, sorry, uncle, but... Uh, kind of used up all the money. I did buy a candle though. And, uh, and he lights the candle, and he puts it in the center of the room, and he says, there, the room's full of light. His uncle's like, hmm, pretty impressive. So, but what did you do with the rest of the money? Oh, wow, well, I gave that to some poor kids down the block, and I gave the rest to the church. Hmm. I think the uncle figured out which one was gonna be the inheritor of the whole thing. And I think that's a lot like us. We've been given all this, you know, in our lifetime we've been given a lot of money. Um, So why was this third man in the story condemned so harshly, kicked right out into the outer darkness? I don't think it was so much what he did with the money as it was so much his understanding of who the master was. And of course that affected how he dealt with the master's gifts. He was afraid. But notice when, when the man is called to account for what he did with his money and he only, you know, he's only giving the money back, he says, I knew you were a hard man. Is God a hard man? Well, it depends what you understand of God. Like when you understand that he is a wrathful God who will actually put people in hell forever, you can actually say, hey, he's a hard man. But when you understand him as the giver of his own son to pay for our sins and to wash us clean and make us new, then you realize, no, no, he's not a hard man. He's a gracious man. He's gracious and good. And so Scott Larson was a youth speaker. And he was doing this youth conference, much like the one that our our young people are at this weekend. And he's doing this conference. And and after the first meeting, this young person, uh, Ricky, comes to him. And he says, uh, hey, Scott, uh, are you going to, like, lay it on thick this whole weekend and then at the end ask us to, you know, commit our lives to God? Because if that's what you're going to do, I want to go home because I don't want any more of that. And then without stopping, he just carried on. He says, you know, I've been coming here for year after year after year. And every year I hear this talk about giving myself to God. And I do it, And you know, I go forward and I offer myself to God. But it doesn't last very long. And now, on top of my sin, I also have this sin of offering my life to God and it not being meaningful and not sticking and I take it back, and so I just, it just makes me for, feel more guilty and more depressed, so I'm just not gonna do it anymore. And uh, Scott said, Scott was a little like taken aback. He's like, uh, okay. And then the Holy Spirit just put a thought in his mind. He said, well, tell me a bit about your relationship with your dad, Ricky. And Ricky explained his dad a bit, and, and, and when he pushed him, when Scott pushed him, he got to a story that he got out of Ricky. And he said, well, my dad, you know, every time when he comes home from work, his first question to me is always, so have you you done your homework? And, well, yeah, I've never done my homework. So it's always no. Uh, But one day I thought, well, I'm going to surprise my dad and I'm going to have my homework done. And so he did. He did his homework right after school. He got it all finished by the time his dad came home. And his dad came home and he says, hey, Ricky, you got your homework done? He says, yeah, dad, I do. Oh, well, why aren't you working on tomorrow's homework? Mm. Now, there's a clue. If we see God like Ricky saw his dad, we're never going to offer him anything. We're never going to offer to serve him because we're always going to feel like we're going to fall short. God's never going to be happy enough with us. And so, in this story, that's how the third man viewed God. I want to end with one more story about a, a one-talent person. A VJ Christian tells the story of a pastor going to a hospital and visiting people. And uh, the pastor goes in, into this hospital, and he, says, and he says to one of the staff, so who's someone in real need of spiritual counseling? Oh, oh, I know a person down this hall, room number, blah, blah, blah. And this pastor later finds out that this is the room that they would send the newbie people to, like the new uh, social workers, etc. They would send them to this room just to see how they would handle the person in the room. The person was an 89-year-old lady. She had terrible cancer that has eaten away her face quite a bit, and her mouth would tip way off to the side and... And she couldn't control the the saliva that would drip down off her mouth. She was blind and was stuck in a wheelchair and was badly crippled. And they said, you know, like the newbies would be repulsed so badly by this lady that they wouldn't come back. But this pastor went in and decided, you know, he was going to encourage this lady somehow. And they got to talking about life and stuff. And the pastor would come back week after week, and he started having a relationship with this lady. And this lady would constantly say things like, you know, I'm so blessed by the Lord. He's been so good to me. All these years, you know, after my husband died 50 years ago, I lived on the, on, the, on the farm by myself. But, you know, God was good for me. He gave me health and strength and enabled me to run the farm. And, and then when I lost the farm and I came here, God's been good to me. Uh, and even though I can't see anything, I can hear his voice in my heart. And God's been so good to me. And this would go on and on and on. She had been in this home, in this condition of blind with cancer racking her body for 28 years. And yet, she was thankful and joyful so that this pastor was absolutely dumbfounded and wanted so much the spirit that was in this lady to, to live his life out as a thankful person. I call that the one talent person. Doesn't have much to offer, but boy, a oh boy, is that impactful. Worship team, come. Lead us in, in song. Lord, we come to you today and we, we offer our lives as living sacrifices to you, Lord Jesus. You are the one that we want to serve with everything we have. And so, Lord, you've taken a risk on us. We pray that we would pay back this risk that you've taken, that you would give us what we need to live our lives out for your kingdom's sake, to use our finances for your kingdom's sake, our talents, to spread the gospel for the kingdom's sake. Oh, Lord, make us a new person, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.